Lord Jesus, uh, tonight, uh, as we launch into this new year, uh, and, and as we look at who you are and what you do, as we look at who we're supposed to be and the things that you've called us to, Father, I pray uh, that, um, that, that as we open up your word, uh, and, and especially as we hear this calling of Christ on our lives, uh, God, that we would have a fresh reminder of, of who it is that you've called us to be, what it is you've called us to do, and how to take a fresh look at where you've placed us um, in our lives, in our family, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. So Lord, uh, tonight we, uh, we surrender to you. Uh, God, we ask that you would speak loud and clear so that we would know um, uh, what you have for us, uh, not because of a sermon or because of a Bible verse that was chosen, but because you've spoke. So Lord, that's what we pray for, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These uh, last 10 months have been a lot of different things. Uh, I feel like some of us would use words that we wouldn't say at church. Uh, uh, I feel like writers for the next 50, 100 years are going to go back to 2020. There will be books that are written, documentaries that are shot, all trying to put wording and trying to understand and make sense out of this last year. And one of the words for me that's been helpful trying to explain and in conversations is, I feel like 2020 was disorienting, uh, that it kind of just shook me a little bit and knocked some foundation out, and I wasn't sure anymore. I'm somewhat, I like to be sure. I like to know what's coming. I like to have a plan. And all of 2020 felt like it didn't matter what plan I had. It didn't matter. It was off the window. Uh, it felt like the perspective I had uh, may have not been right. It felt like the decisions I was making may not be accurate. Uh, and, and so whether it was a, a shift in your work, and we all had some shift in our work, it was disorienting. Family life shifted. Uh, some of you were around people in your home a lot more than usual. Uh, some of you were further away from people in your family than usual, and it was disorienting. Home life changed, social life changed. I died a little bit in 2020 because uh, I'm kind of like a puppy dog. I love being around people, right? I love hanging out. I love all that. And then 2020, it was my people. I couldn't hang out with my people. And there weren't backyard bonfires and cookouts. It was phone calls and text messaging. And I died a little bit. So I'll pray about that later, but I just want to get out. Church life shifted dramatically. In March of 2020, we stopped meeting in person and we went online. I've never preached to a camera before. That was weird, right? You've never been to church before just sitting on your couch for a lot of us. And that was weird. And when we came back together, it, there's the weirdness of some of those things. We had to shift our location and our time and a lot of things moved and it was disorienting. And then not only that, and maybe more significantly, there were some spiritual shifts. Uh, things in our own life that, that, that shifted out of the norm. For some of us, we were in rituals and habits, good rituals. And, and those kind of went out the window, and, and so did little bits of our perspective and our spiritual life. For a lot of us, uh, our, our, our norms, meeting with people and being able to pray with people and being able to worship with people shifted, and with that went some aspects of our spiritual life that we didn't pay attention to. And when everything shifts all at once, over that long of a time, it's hard to find a foundation to stand on so you can live forward. And it left most of us disoriented. And throughout Scripture, we find these society-shifting moments of normal, abrupting chaos. 
These moments where everything changes and everything shifts, and it turns into something else. It doesn't just stop. Uh, There's a new season that comes, but it's through these events and these moments. Uh, We see first in the book of Genesis, we have this massive flood. And, and, And in the narrative, it's this moment where everything changes. And then after we get this uh, Tower of Babel moment where uh, society changes and everything shifts. From there we've got the exodus of, of Israel out of Egypt and everything changes all of a sudden. And then you go on later and throughout Scripture we find famines and we find wars and all these things and things shift. And not only that, if, as you get later into the Old Testament... There's these uh, moments where the Assyrian uh, um, army comes in and they wipe out uh, Israel and they break down the temple and then the Babylonians. And both of those times, Israel, life of the community of faith is shaken and it's dispersed and, and it really never comes back together in the same way. And then there's what Jesus steps into, which is the Roman occupation and that's just historical timeline, but looking at when uh, Israel was under the uh, Roman Empire and how that affected day-to-day life. It wasn't about God being in the temple and that's where he was. There were soldiers marching around on the street telling you what to do and how to do it. And in every one of those moments, what we see, God comes with a very similar message, which is just turn back to me. Throughout the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, All the weird names that you can't pronounce. In almost every one of those books, God's message is the exact same. Stop doing what you're doing or else you're going to end up in destruction. Turn around, follow me, and watch peace fall on you. Most of our disorientation in 2020 was because of the loss of something we placed too much of our identity in. There was a lot of things that shook up in life. And the hard part for some of us is uh, there was pieces of our identity attached to things that could be shaken. Uh, when our work was messed with, that shifted some stuff because a lot of people say, well, I am what I do. Uh, my work is part of my identity, right? Hi, I'm Don. What's your name? You know, whatever. What, uh, who are I? I'm a teacher. I run a business, Right? You throw out with what your work is. It's part of who you are. It's part of your identity. And when that starts getting messed with, you start getting messed with. Not just work, but also our routines. I'm a routine person. I could eat the exact same thing for lunch every day and it would not phase me. So long as it's the right thing. Let's start there, right? I like habits. I like rhythms. I like routines. I I like uh, getting into a flow and, and, and letting that kind of ride out. But the reality is when the routine gets messed up, we realize how much of our identity was staked in how we do things, when we do things, and, and, and how much control we have over when and where that happens. Then there's these cultural norms that are all shifted. For, for probably two years, every Sunday night, we'd put the boys down to bed, and I had the AMC movie pass, and I would go watch a movie on Sunday nights by myself in the movie theater. It's like one of the few things I like to do by myself. And actually, if you wanted to come with, I would love that. But not, you know. So I'd go, and guess what? That shifted, and you couldn't do it anymore. I didn't realize how much of my world would be rocked by not being able to meet with people at a Starbucks. That shifted some stuff. And all I'm saying is, in all of these things, when all of these uh, 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 norms in our life come crashing down, so much of us went crashing down with it because we staked our identity 
in the things we were doing. In some ways, after 10 months, we got used to in this disoriented reality of 2020. Some of you made radical decisions purely out of a chaotic season that was disorienting. What I mean is you made decisions that had nothing to do with common sense, spiritual direction, had everything to do with everything's up in the air and i got to pick something so I'm going to go with it. We'll find out later in life that we may have zigged when we should have zagged because everything was up in the air and we just did something. A lot of our life gets wrapped up in these moments. Here's a perspective I want us to, to grab onto. So much, and this is before 2020, so much of who we are, we do, unbeknownst to us, unless we stop and think about it, is decisions and perspectives that are found in a disoriented way of life. What I mean is, we've become so accustomed to darkness that we forget how to see in the light. You know when you've been in a dark place for a while and your eyes start adjusting and you can see okay? We can live life that way expecting that it's normal. And we've done it. And some of us, the last years, that's what it's been. And what we see when we jump into Scripture and what we see when we understand who Jesus is, what He means, and how that impacts our everyday is we get a light shown at us. And we get to see it around us. And we get to see it light the path in front of us so we know where to go and what to do and how to do it. Some of you dropped foundational and soul-shaping habits and rituals and direction simply because you were in the middle of a normal abrupting chaos. What I mean is there was areas where God met you in your everyday life. And in the middle of 2020 and all the chaos and the flutter and all that stuff... Somehow it slipped away, and you forgot to grab it and bring it back. And in a season where the world was being turned upside down, some decided to leave or distance themselves from their church family, or worse yet, and most without meaning to, distance ourselves from God. However, as we read through Scripture, we are reminded that God uses these society-shifting moments of normal abrupting chaos to draw us back to Him to reset us who we are, what we do, and where we are. The first part is that who we are peace. It's our identity. It's super easy for us to have our identity placed in different things. Our identity can drip towards our occupation or our family. Our identity can shift into people-pleasing. I don't know who I am. I just know I want to make you happy. And if I make you happy, I'm going to assume that I'm okay. And for a lot of us, too, our identity can be landed in our insecurities. We'll start believing things about us that may not be true, but from your own perspective, it's what you've started thinking. When you read Scripture, though, you find out that God's already given you an identity. You are His child. So long as you belong to Him, so long as your life is in Christ, you are a child of God. That is your identity. It's why Jesus, when He's teaching on worrying, says, don't worry. If God cares for stuff like this, why don't you think you would care for one of his children? Why don't you think God would, wouldn't provide for you? Why do you think you wouldn't be taken care of? And not only that, we're a child of God, but we're also a follower of Jesus. And in a culture that stakes so much on leadership, sometimes we forget spiritually that we're followers first. It's not about what we lead. It's not about all those things. It, what does matter 
is are we imitating Christ? Are we following Him where He goes, wherever He goes? Uh, the second one is this. It's what we do. It's our mission. Uh, the main question leading up to age 18 for me was, what do you want to do? And I had no idea. My dream job when I was little is I wanted to be a potato truck delivery guy. Because we had family friends who worked for Frito-Lay, and all I knew is they had an endless supply of chips. And I thought that was like what heaven was going to be like, right? And then you turn 18, and I had no idea, right? And so often when we meet each other and we meet people and new people, one of the first questions we ask, and I don't know if it's just muscle memory icebreaker or whether it's just what you're supposed to do, but we'll say, hey, my name's Don. Oh, what do you do? And I never answer that question correctly because then all of a sudden it's like, I'm sorry, Father, for sin, uh, right? And it goes into, I'm sorry, I don't know if I cuss, but I'm just going to apologize in advance. It's like, it's cool, I've, I've lived in life, it's, it's okay, right? But that's what we want to know, what do you do? And when you meet, uh, we tend to think about our occupation or our work when we think about what we do. And as adults, we have work that takes and consumes most of our time but as Christians, we have work that consumes our perspective and our relationships in worship to God. And that work that God's given us is to go and make disciples of all nations. It's to help people find their way back to God. It's that in who you are, as you're around people, that they would see Christ in you and that, uh, that you would be able to pass off or show what Christ looks like when he invades the life of an actual person who doesn't have to parade around pretending they're somebody different, but gets to be their authentic self who's been radically transformed by the good news of Jesus. And then there's where we are. It's our place. Uh, we're used to being able to choose our place, whether it's the nation we live in, the state that we live in, the neighborhoods that we live in, based off of our preferences and based off of our convenience. And we forget that God has placed us here where we are to do what he's called us to do. You living in your neighborhood is not an accident. God put you there. And while 2020 may have had you asking, what am I doing here? God has never been asking that question unless you've been somewhere where he's not called you to be. God knows why you are where you are because he put you there. That's one of the first things God does with Adam when he creates him. He puts him in the garden. He places him in a specific place to do a work that he's called him to do. When Jesus leaves and he ascends back into heaven, he calls people to go into places to do what they're called to do. We are already in the place where you can live out the purpose of your life. Many of us this last year have left 2020 disoriented. We've had almost every aspect of our day-to-day -day lives changed and shifted. There have been habits and norms and rituals and relationships that have been broken. And when you break a bone, I told you my mom had surgery, so her entire sternum is now uh, going back together. When you break a bone, your body is naturally wired to put itself back together. It will grow. The hard reality, though, is if you don't set that bone in the right place, it'll grow back in a way that it was never intended to be. In order for that to happen, you have to give it attention. You have to give it a supportive structure. You have to correct it so that it's where it's supposed to be. And a lot of us in 2020 had things broken in our lives that if we don't give it 
attention and we don't give it a supportive structure and we don't correct it, our, our lives will grow in a way that they weren't supposed to be simply because we never paid attention to what was broken. Of all the things that have broken, too often our spiritual life is one of the first casualties to go when things shift. I want us to start this new year by remembering the foundational characteristics of your first calling. One of my favorite Bible verses, one of the first ones I remembered uh, encountering or trying to remember is this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not if somebody knows about Christ or if people uh, grew up in church. That's not what he's saying. He said, if you're in Christ, if, if you look for Jesus and you find you there, if someone goes looking for you, that they can't help but to run into Jesus because your life is in him. Not like a casual bystander in the uh, religion of Christianity, but someone whose life is staked in the very center of who Christ is. If anyone is in Christ, then a new creation has come. What it means is this, is the old is gone and the new is here. You're not who you used to be. Praise God. And more importantly, what God's going to do with you is something you've never been. The old is gone. We love that part. Take my sin. It's yours. Right? It's almost like saying, here's all my garbage from the last week. I would love for you to take that. That's not hard to give away. We love giving away all the mistakes and trusting that Jesus gives forgiveness. We love handing away our brokenness and knowing that only God can put it back together. We're really good at getting rid of the old. But Christians, if we can talk to ourselves real quick, are all too often neglecting and fully embracing the new creation. We can get rid of the old, but we don't really want to start doing new stuff. I'll stop doing some of that, but there's some norms in my life that I want to hold on to. I don't want Jesus telling me what to do all the time. Now, conceptually and at church, you may say amen, hallelujah, but where are you at on Tuesday when God's trying to mess with your finances? Or God's telling you who and when and how things should go. When he's asking you to be mindful of the relationships you're drawing close, who you're dating and who you're allowing in, the friendship circle that you're putting around you. Uh, how about then? Are you paying attention to what God wants for the new creation? Or do you slink back to the old? I'm not sure where you are emotionally or mentally or relationally or spiritually, but I want you to be reminded as we go into 2021, rebuilding what was lost in 2020, I want you to remember your spiritual identity. I want you to remember your spiritual mission. I want you to be reminded of your spiritual placement, that you are here at your address, in your family, with your friend circle, at your job for a purpose. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 3, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he's led out into the wilderness, which sounds really good, because I like a good camping trip and being, uh, you know, having a little reset time, except for he goes out in the wilderness to be tempted. He fasts. That's not my idea of a vacation. For 40 days, I, one of the most understated verses in the Bible is he would fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. You think? And then Satan comes at him. 
Don't find me when I'm hungry. I don't know how Jesus did it, so I'm thankful that he set a good precedent. But when I'm hungry, it's not the time to mess with me. And he goes out and he's tempted, and when he comes back, he starts preaching a consistent message. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And what he does when he comes back is reminding people, not like sandwich board dude that's angry with the megaphone downtown yelling at you, repent, repent, repent. Like a loving Savior that showed up so you didn't have to keep suffering the way you're suffering. Stop going the direction you're going and come back to me. Stop doing it your way. Come back to me. Stop your decisions and your direction and your uh, confused way of doing life and come back to me. Why? Because he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through me. So as he's preaching that, he reminds us that now is the time to turn from where you are going and head back to God. He's preaching, and as he's preaching around, he starts calling his disciples. Now, disciples to us in our culture, we don't do that much anymore. But in a first century Jewish context where Jesus was at, it was very normal. You had rabbis, kind of like the priests slash theologians slash kind of a little bit of a government authority, kind of. And these people that carried so much weight would call people to be their disciples, this word that means kind of like a student-apprentice follower, that you would leave everything to follow the rabbi. And not just follow him, but these 12 guys wouldn't just listen to his teaching content. Jesus would not have been YouTubable. What I mean is, he wasn't asking you to uh, agree with or disagree with his content. I actually wonder if his teaching style would have grabbed us or if it wouldn't have been flashy enough and we're used to things fast and quick. So it wasn't just, hey, take out a notebook and write down the stuff that I'm saying. Instead, when a rabbi called a disciple, it was to follow everything that he did. The way that he talked, not just the words. Who he talked to. Two, how he treated people. A disciple would have worked to imitate his motivations, to imitate his impulses and his spiritual habits, to imitate the qualities of the person they're following and the characteristics. It's to all-encompassing, pay attention to so you can soak it in and live it out. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus, uh, the, uh, Matthew writes this. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. I think it's wild. These guys that were going to inherit dad's business that's probably how it would have worked. That probably financially would have been okay. That had things set up. They didn't need a 401k because their lifestyle was just set up fine. Probably comfortable. Doing the same thing they knew how to do because that's what they grow up doing. And all of a sudden, Jesus calls them into something different. And they have to leave everything to follow him. And then in verse 20, it says, at once they left their nets and they followed him. There must be something about Jesus. And in this invitation, I believe we get a succinct understanding of what it means for us to follow Jesus, to hear his invitation and to be reminded of what we're invited to. 
And the first thing I want us to see in that invitation, not just for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, but for us, is this. Is in order to do this, we have to leave our comfort zone and follow Jesus. We have to leave the things that we're used to. We have to leave the life that we've built to follow Christ. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, come follow me. And there's two parts to that. The first one is to come follow me. It is to come. Well, and literally in the Greek there, what he's saying is you have to leave where you are. You have to move. You have to get up. You've got to pack up your things. I think in the Greek, you could probably read the word U-Haul because that would be involved somewhere. You can't stay here and follow me because I'm going there. And if I'm moving and you're staying, then you're not following me. And we need to be reminded of that in our own lives. You can't stay put in your spiritual life and pursue Christ. There's so many moments where Jesus encounters somebody, heals them, and they say, I want to follow you. And he says, no, because I want you to follow me in your town. I want you to stay where you are and still pursue me. I love Matthew chapter 13, just a little bit later in the story. Jesus gives a parable that helps us wrap our minds around this. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Let's, uh, let's bring that up to modern day times. It's that $400 million Powerball ticket. I know you've seen the billboards, bought the tickets. It says when a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, went and sold all that he had so he could buy it. Because if I own that property, then whatever's on it is mine. If I get rid of everything in this old life, then whatever's in the new one is mine. I can attain it. I can have it. I can take it. Now, I can't just steal it. That's not how it works. I have to get rid of everything so I can grab onto this new thing. So many of us get hung up. We know what God has for us is by far greater than anything we have or anything we could get on our own. And the honest truth for most of us is we've gotten so used to what we have, we mistake familiarity for what's best. Because we're used to it, it's easier to stay than it is to go. It's easier to stay in the comfort zone than it is to leave. You may need to take a better look at Jesus so that you can fully see how worth it he is. And on the flip side, some of you may need to take a look around at your life to see how not worth keeping it it is when you know what you could have. I love that the scripture and the way Jesus tells the story is this. It's in his joy that he went back and sold everything. It's in his joy that he was willing to part ways with whatever he had built up to that point. It's in his joy that all of that stuff was nothing compared to what God had for him. It's why Jesus, when he talks to the Pharisee, the Pharisee wants to know what this eternal life looks like. Jesus, well, you're going to have to be born again. Which is fine if your life's a disaster, but when you're a Pharisee and everyone looks up to you and you've gone to school and you've got an education, you've got status and privilege and power, you don't want to give all that up. And Jesus says, well, if you want to follow me, you have to go sell everything. And for us, we need to be reminded that in that coming to follow him, we need to leave where we've been. Now, the next part is this, is following Jesus. What I mean is, it's not just about displacement from where you've been, but it's a pursuit of the person of Christ. Not pursuing blessing or favor. 
God, I just want the cool stuff that you have, so I'm going to do whatever you ask. It's not about pursuing that. It's about pursuing Him. Not pursuing peace or comfort or happiness. That will come, but it's only going to come when you pursue Him. Jesus is not the means to the end of your best life. Jesus is the end of your best life. And your pursuit of Him is what matters. Jesus doesn't say, come and go find a better life. He says, follow me. Follow me. Relationship, conversation, person. Pursue me. Jesus often reminds us our primary identity is, not, is to be children of God and followers of Jesus. Not simply just to be saved. Because then all that does is it puts us on a waiting bench until Jesus comes back or we die. What Jesus has planned for us is that tomorrow your life will be spent on mission. He's got a purpose for you the minute you surrender your life to Christ. It's not a waiting game. It's for right now. If you follow him, you'll find more than you've ever known. And if you stay put, you'll continue to discover all that's missing that could only be found in the one who invited you to follow him. The second part of that invitation is this, is we have to be surrendered so we can be crafted by Jesus. Now, if we've known each other for a while, you know that I'm pretty sure most of the time I'm always right, right? I've also lived enough life to know that I'm usually wrong in thinking that, but it doesn't stop me from thinking it. I assume that I'm right, that the way things should be placed in the house, that I, what I want is right, and the way, uh, you know, how things happen, and the order of way things work is there's a genuine thing in me that I fight constantly, I lose often, but, you know, that says my perspective is correct. We don't like to surrender things because we're control freaks, the reality is, is you can either control it or you can surrender it, but what you're giving up is God's purpose and plan for your life in that decision. If you're in control, you're not going to get where he wants you to be. But if you lose control, and not just lose control, if you surrender control to Christ, you start to see what God can do. Jesus says in Matthew 4.19 to these brothers that are fishermen by the sea, follow me and I will make you. I'll make you. I'll make something with you. It's actually the same ideas where we get the word in Genesis chapter 1 we talked about a few weeks ago where God created. He takes stuff and builds purpose and value and function with it. And he says, if you follow me, I will give you purpose and value and function and you will serve a purpose in your life. You'll have a mission to do. You will matter. And not just in the life that you've built, you'll have a, a key role and purpose and responsibility in the kingdom of God. As a recovering control freak, I love things exactly how I want them, and more so, I think things go best when they go the way I want them. Now, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I've, again, learned enough to know that the way I want them to go usually is not the best way. But that's not my first reaction. It's also part of our Adam and Eve natural sin, right? We want to know. We want to be in control. We want to be the one that holds the cards. And part of an obsession with control is that we don't like anyone else to be, right? If you're married, if you've ever been around a single human ever, right? The only way I can stay in control is if the rest of you aren't. Now, in your own life, the way this works in a spiritual sense 
is the only way that you can stay in control is if you don't let Christ be in control. And I love when Jesus says, but those who lose their life will find it. Because once we surrender it, we start to see what God has for us. And we want Jesus to take our sin, but we don't want Him to tell us what to do. We want Him to forgive us, but we also want to hold, continue holding our personal grudges and issues with whoever we want. Think of it like this. We want Jesus to pay our debt, but we don't want His help with future financial planning. Now, I want you to take all the bad stuff, I just don't want you to tell me to do with what I have now. Right? We've misunderstood Jesus. What I mean is, Jesus comes in and He comes to be our Lord, not our Santa Claus. Where we try to convince Him that we're really good, so He gives us what we want. He came to reign supreme over your life, to sit on the throne and dictate His kingdom. And He comes to serve. Remember? Not to be served. It's a weird kind of kingdom. He comes that we could be His friends. I'm going to let you know that you want to be a part of that kingdom. The difference is, are you going to get off the throne of whatever kind of life you're trying to build so you can let Jesus be on the throne of the kingdom that's going to last for eternity? There is someone or something He's working us into. Isaiah chapter 64 says it this way. He says, yet you, Lord, not you, best friend, giver of all good things, Lord, Master, King, or our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Who I'm going to be, I want that to be up to you. I surrender myself for you to craft me however I'm supposed to be, doing whatever I'm supposed to do, so I can become the kind of person that's used in your kingdom. Uh, we need to become so convinced that Jesus is the way. That it's easy with joy to surrender our roadmap and trust Him with every aspect of our life forward. If you surrender to Jesus for Him to craft you into who He's called you to be, then He can do things with you that you've never been able to do. And the last thing is this. In this invitation, is to use your experience and your expertise to bring people to Jesus. To use your experience and your expertise to bring people to Jesus. Now, when I was little, I remember hearing uh, testimonies or wild conversions or, or those kind of things in church. And I remembered thinking, if I'm going to follow Jesus, and this was wrong, but that's what I thought. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to become someone completely different. I remember thinking that I'm not going to be able to have fun if I do that. Because church people seem sad. When you're seven, it's weird, but whatever, that's where I was at. You had to stop having fun. You had to stop enjoying things. What I found later was the complete opposite, but I remembered thinking I was going to have to uh, uh, become somebody completely different. Now, on a spiritual sense, that is absolutely true. There's a transformation that we uh, uh, get rid of that old and we become the new, but we, what God doesn't do is waste anything. In 2020, God isn't wasting any of that. We may not yet see what He's going to do with it, but He hasn't wasted it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, I want to read it through one more time so we get it. It says, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. He took what they knew how to do and said, we're going to repurpose it so it can be used for the kingdom. He finds these fishermen and he tells them to follow him. He will transform their experience and their expertise for the kingdom's use to help people find their way back to God. Here's what I think. I think Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who start as fishermen, I think they keep fishing. I don't think it changes what their work is. I think it changes what their spiritual work is. I don't think it changes what they do with their hands. I think it changes what they do in their relationships. And as he calls them into this, their work is not about reports and quotas and invoices and workshops and the stress to perform. That's not what work is in the kingdom of God. Their work is about joining in the redemptive work of Jesus to see people put their lives in Christ where their old self is gone and their new creation is every day. This isn't about throwing out everything you've done and everything you know. It's about redeeming it for the purposes of leading people around you to a saving, redeeming, restoring relationship with Jesus. In this invitation is not to come sit quietly, peacefully with Jesus while you have a private faith. Or you don't talk about Jesus in your everyday life because you don't want to offend anybody. When you follow Christ, Jesus rarely offended people. The only people Jesus offended were the ones that wanted to be in control. If we do this Christian life and we're actually following Jesus, you won't offend people that need him. Or at least that know they need him. How easy is it for us to get caught up in going through the motions of life that we forget that we are uniquely gifted? We are uniquely called. We are uniquely placed to make fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus. Paul reminds us that we are, in fact, ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives here on earth. When people encounter us, they encounter him. The way they view us is how they see Jesus. And sometimes it's not hard to wonder why people aren't attracted to Christ if all they've got to look at is us. And it's not a shameful, guilt-ridden stamp on our life. It's a place to call ourselves up to, to live, that we get to be those people. I don't want people looking at me for my skill set. I don't want people looking at me for the things I'm good at. I want people to look at me and see the things that God has pulled me out of that I couldn't have done on my own. To see the things that God has put me into that I never could have made to without Him. The, the mentors and spiritual giants that God has placed around me, many of whom have never wrote a book and will never know their names, but to me, they were people that God placed in a season for a time. And I didn't deserve any of that. What we miss is God has called us to be ambassadors that when people encounter us, they encounter the kingdom of God through us. Jesus reminds us that we are also called to be witnesses, to tell people who he is. Now, this doesn't mean Bible college theologians that know the Bible forward and backward and you can't talk about Scripture unless you've got the entire book of Romans memorized. All it means is this. What have you seen God do in your life? Tell people. How have you seen God show up in your life? Tell people. How good's he been to you? Share it. When people want to know how your weekend went and God did crazy stuff on a Sunday night that you don't think, oh, that'd be weird to talk about. No, that's a witness. 
Man, the Spirit moved. He talked to me. I got to give a hug to someone I haven't seen in a couple months. There's things that happened. God's been moving. That's it. And guess what most people hear from the church? Not witnesses of people that have been with Jesus. How are you doing? Huh? Well, praise be. How's Jesus been in your life? I don't know. I just, you know, whatever. Right? Man, because it was with joy that the man went back and sold everything that he had so he could attain everything that God had for him. And what the world gets out of most of the witnesses of people that have seen God radically move. Some of you don't deserve the families you've got, but God's been good. Some of you don't deserve the blessings and the joy and the favor that you have, but God's been good. And when people want to know what you've got to be joyful for, instead of saying, eh, witness, share, tell. The next thing it says, we are servants to help them receive who he is. My job is to serve you so that you can fully see who Christ is. Your job is to serve people so they can fully see who Christ is. That's the work we get to do. But when the world falls around and our identity is attached to all that, we fall down with it and our witness leaves, being an ambassador drops out, and we stop serving everyone else. God isn't wasting a single moment or aspect of your life. And when you leave everything to follow Him, He will make you from the inside out into a disciple maker. Someone that makes an eternal difference in the lives of people, not because you're great, but because you're representing the one who is. And you're using these experiences and this expertise you already have. God's plan to reach a lost and fallen, broken world is through saved, redeemed, restored people who used to be lost, fallen, and broken people. Us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 has been one that I have walked with, carried with, drank it often, used it in the morning, went to bed at night with it on my brain. It says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's why I needed that verse this last year. Because there were days where I had no idea if any of this stuff was working. I had no idea if God was done with me. I had no idea if God was done with us. I had no idea if I was doing the right things. I had no idea if we were in the right place. I had no idea what was going on. And here's what this verse reminds me of. Until I go to be with Jesus, he's not done with me yet. And as we go into 2021, you need to hear God isn't finished with you. This isn't the end spot. Here's a, a praise report. You're not the finished product. He's continually making you to be like Christ. That's the promise when you leave everything to follow Him that He's going to continue working on you until the day of Christ. There's no cosmic shift that happened from last year into this one. However, I'm praying that you have a spiritual shift. That you aren't following success or status or significance my prayer for us is this, that you're pursuing being faithful, that you're pursuing being available to whatever God wants, that you're pursuing being spirit-filled, that you're trying to figure out what nook and cranny of your life have you not surrendered to him yet so that you can hand that puppy right over. 
that you are working at being willing to jump into any conversation or initiative that God puts in front of you because you know that God has more for you than what he's ever gotten out of you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting it. Old Testament actually reminds us it's foolish to go back and say, well, things used to be good back then. It doesn't matter how things used to be. He says, I've forgotten everything that's behind me, and I'm straining towards what's ahead so I could receive that prize. Not because we're so over the past. Not because we want to just get rid of 2020, because God's going to use it. Don't get rid of it. He did some stuff in there. He's carrying some stuff out in there. If we're already convinced of heaven, then we know that where we're heading is better than where we've been, and we know it's better than where we are. So every day of our life that takes one more step towards eternity is lived in a better direction. We know that what's coming is better, so we treat it that way. Tomorrow's different because we know where we're going. Wednesday is different because we know where we're headed. We have assurance of those things, and so we live different day to day. Here's what I want to call us to, and I promise I'll stop talking. In 2020, left some major shifts in our culture, uh, and while we were never change our theology as a church, that would be foolish meaning change what we believe about God, it's wise often to reevaluate our methodology, how we do it. And cultural demands that we change our methodology, the way we do church in the United States, won't work in Brazil. The things that are working in Little Village right now may look really weird if we tried to duplicate that in Oakland. Because as culture shifts, the same true, never-changing, never-shifting gospel of Jesus invades all of that, but it looks different from neighborhood to neighborhood, from person to person. We don't change the method or message, but we do sometimes change the method. And here's where I want us to look. On September 6th of 2021, uh, we are going to enter into this uh, uh, pursuit of relaunching New Life Community Church in Oakland. Because what our community needs in 2021 is different than what it needed in 2019. And you're all the launch team. And we'll pursue what this looks like. And over the next few months, we're going to look at making sure, in our small groups, uh, we're talking through this, we're trying to figure out how do we do the best job of making sure I just want to be a good follower of Jesus. That's all we want to spend time on. And then the few months after that, we want to look at how do we, at the best possible capacity we have, how do we help make disciples of other people? Not weird marketing tactics to bring people in and change and whatever. How do we honestly present Christ in a way where people can see him genuinely to have an honest response to that? And then after that, what we want to do is leading up to September, we want to look at how do we start forming our church in a way where we can make disciples in this area and just do what God's called us to do. Here's what I'm asking. I want to ask you to pray with us and commit to relaunching the church with us. Now, we're going to meet every Sunday. Our groups are going to continue. We're still going to go. I just want us to be thinking 
this year, God wants to do something different with your life as a part of this church. That this isn't an institution you belong to, it's a family. And part of it together is how are we going to make sure that the contribution we give with our life makes the most impact that it can in the places where God's put us. And if we do that together, we'll see this kind of stuff when Jesus says, would you come and follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of people. Will you join us as we start next week in this 21-day fast? Will you carve out serious time for prayer? Will you carve out serious time for giving God your attention and serious devotion to the things of God? This year, I fully believe that what God wants to do with us and through us will be different than what we've seen in the past because 2021 is going to be different than anything we've ever seen in the past. And to be honest, we should do this often. And where I see God pulling us is only going to be helpful with this. Are we willing to leave the comfort zone of what's normal to follow Jesus who asks us to trust him? Are we willing to follow Christ, not knowing maybe where he's going to be tomorrow, but being willing to follow him as he gets there? Are we willing to let him make something with us, surrender who we are and what we do, so that we can become whatever he's asked us to be? Are we willing to do the work he's called us to so we can lead and help people find their way back to God? That is the pace I want us to set for the rest of 2021. And you may not feel like you're ready. No one ever is. You may not feel like you've got enough time, energy, money. None of us ever do. But what we do know is this is that the moment we're ready to leave everything to follow him, we start a lifelong journey of having our minds blown by the goodness of God, by the blessing of God, by the favor of God. We're promised that hard times will continue to happen until he comes. But what we're promised is that he's got a hope and a future. We've promised that he won't ever leave us or he won't forsake us. And I'd rather have those promises than certainty of my plan. Would you stand and pray? Lord Jesus, tonight, Father, we pray knowing that in this room there's some of our church that online tonight and throughout the week of people watching, there's people in our church. And God, 2020 left us disoriented, but you've got clarity. You have vision. You know the way forward. You saw this coming thousands of years ago, and you know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, Father, we trust you because you are the author and you are the perfecter of our faith. You are the creator and the sustainer. God, we can't do this on our own. Many of us have tried and we failed. Father, we get off the throne of our life. We surrender to you, Jesus. Father, would you be Lord? Would you be king? Would you be master? Would you sit? enthroned? Would you reign over our lives? Would you shape us and mold us? God, would you make us into whatever it is and whoever it is you've called us to be? God, would you help us shave off the stuff that shouldn't be there? God, would you add into us the things that we need so we can do the things you've called us to do in the place you've called us to do it? Father, we give all this to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.